Hey guys, and welcome to season three of the Us People podcast. I'm your host, Savia Rox, and in this season, I get to make my guests laugh, cry, and even make them think about life a little differently with the questions I fire over to them, which digs into their lives and professions a little differently. We even had a chance to change up the intro, giving you a fresh new sound. I look forward to sharing season three of the Us People podcast with you. Let's go. Hello, I'm Bridget Sinclair. I'm an author and a spiritual teacher, and you're listening to Us People podcast with the amazing Savia Rocks. She rocks. You're a pro. You knew it was coming. (laughs) Made up my mind. Now is my time to shine. Now is my time to shine. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Ask People Podcast. I'm your host, Sammy Rex, and today I'm humbled to have Bridget here with me, who is the author of Red Dress and also a spiritual teacher. Bridget, thank you so much for taking your time to come on the Ask People Podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Savia, and thank you so much for inviting me. I'm humbled to be here. Oh, the, the pleasure is all mine, believe me. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine. So, Bridget, my first question for you is, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, but also your background and how that influenced you to be the person who you are today? Okay, right, great question. Um, you know, I'm getting a bit old, so it's a long story. So <laughs> I, I like long time. stories. <laughs> I, was, I was actually born in Hampshire in ah. England and um, lived there until um, I was about eight. And I grew up in quite a challenging family. I mean, the, well, it was a big family. I was the only girl. I had three older brothers and a younger brother. Um, there was no kind of like abuse or anything like that but it was quite emotionally abusive so it was quite difficult and I was teased to the point of quite humiliation so it was quite challenging for me but of course when you're growing up as a kid you just think this is what it is and then at the age of eight we moved away to the Midlands and I was teased because I had a southern accent you know I didn't have the Midlands accent so I was teased at school and we went to a very small school and that was quite challenging as well um moved back to uh, the Hampshire area and then I left home at the age of 17 and went to live in London and um, hey. <laughs> all sort of didn't go to university, dropped out, didn't know what I was doing and where I was going and it's really because I think inside was that wounding and that damage that had come from that upbringing but I wasn't really aware of that, I just thought I just thought I'd had no place in the world really, I didn't think that I had anything in me to offer um, I didn't think I was very clever and I could really achieve anything. And I think my my mum kind of just expected me to kind of get married and have kids. And um, I kind of somewhere in me, I knew that wasn't right for me. Yeah. Um, but I did do that. Well, I didn't get, I, I initially got married very young. It didn't work. We split up and I moved to London. And well, so I was living just outside London and I moved right into London and I wanted to, be in the centre of it all. And I've always loved London since I was a kid. Yeah. My dad worked there and my mum used to take me shopping into the West End and the big shops. And I always think it was the most exciting place in the world. And that when I was old enough, I'd go. So I ended up living in London, which I loved. And I did that whole thing about fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. And this was in the 80s when, you know, everything was, the world was a very different place. And that's what I did. And I actually worked in the film industry for a while. And 
public relations yeah. in the film industry, um, went on to work in sort of public relations and marketing. But it felt very soulless to me. I felt very empty inside. And it was just kind of like I'd created this mask, this persona, this person that was out there in the world going, yeah, everything's okay. And actually inside, I was quite lonely and sad and choosing really um, dysfunctional relationships. And eventually I kind of had to start to get my act together. And what really fused that journey, if you like, was when I met my now ex-husband um, when I was in my late 20s. And I I kind of felt like I've got to be a grown-up. I've got to start fixing some of this stuff. I've got to, there's something that's not quite right. And then I had my daughter. She's coming up for 30, and it was almost 30 years ago that I had. So this is a long story. Um, and that really precipitated a massive change in me because I wanted to be the best mum I could be to this beautiful little girl that had been born Aww. four weeks early in the middle of London at University College Hospital. And I just wanted to be a great mum. And I realised that my parents were not very good role models. And I realised that I wasn't the person I needed to be to really nurture this child. Yeah. And that it kind of began this journey of self-awareness and discovery. And uh, we moved away, actually. We moved away to the Midlands. And it was awful because all my friends and everything, everything I knew was in London. I'd been living in London for years. And... Uh, I went through a lot of soul searching and then got pregnant with my son, who's nearly 28. And we moved back mm. to West London, St. Margaret's Twickenham, Richmond area. <laughs> and uh, I got to know a lot of other mums. And at that point is really where my journey began, because I began seriously, seriously with the spiritual path. Because I feel that, um, th and I also started to go to have counselling. And I really think these two things go hand in hand, uh, which is why they're both included in Red Dress, because yeah. I think it's really great to go and have therapy or counselling and really look at where the where the bones are buried, you know, look at what the wounding is, look at what's running you, what the traumas are, but also to transcend that with a spiritual journey. So I started these, this kind of parallel path at the age of 30, 32 um, which took me on some, to some fantastic places and I did some amazing things mm. and started this whole journey of healing. And then eventually these two paths came together when I, when I self-trained as a psychotherapist and, he, and a healer and they came together and uh, that was my journey of therapy. This is a long answer. I bet you didn't I think this. No. Hey, I love this. Hey, hey, sometimes, so, I only, I only, sometimes I only get through free questions with people. So this is all good for me. I like it. <laughs> oh, well done, Savio. You're obviously exactly the right person to ask the questions. So, yeah, so the, the, these, these journeys came together of this kind of spiritual awakening and all these things I was learning. I started meditating in year 2000. Um, I started doing a lot of different courses, reading lots of books on the whole spiritual path. Some of it was quite weird and wacky and witchy. And I really loved all of that stuff, like space clearing. And, you know, I don't know, just felt like we were playing and having fun, you know, and conscious dance and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff like land readings and things and um, working with crystals and. Oh, yeah. You know, dancing around the fire in a circle on Midsummer's Night and all sorts of stuff. I was just really having fun with this group of women. And, um, 
And then at the same time, I was this very serious psychotherapist, which was kind of <laughs> not really me. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is, with psychotherapy, it was kind of like uh, counselling. You need to be really good, have really good listening skills. Which, and I had to develop those listening skills because actually I quite like talking. So I'd always choose these different things like hypnotherapy that would require talking rather than just sitting there <laughs> listening to somebody's story. Um, but anyway, it, the, the journey went on and I ended up working in Harley Street. I actually got to the top of my game and really integrated a lot of different therapy approaches. So I kind of left behind psychotherapy and was much more working with ener energetically, working with trauma, working with really difficult cases um, and absolutely loved it. But my marriage was breaking up. I okay. crashed and burnt out, <laughs> ended up going through this horrible acrimonious divorce um lived with my two kids who were teenagers then um sort of near Clapham Junction for a bit and um and then I went on this training course and the training course was a nine-month course to learn how to tap into your intuition and it oh, kept yeah. sort of saying things like you know resign and I was going no you must be kidding me it's taken me all this time to get to the top of my game you know I've taken I've got to no I agree with that one I've got a waiting list you know like everything's functioning well and you're telling me to resign and then I just kept getting no you need to leave and there's a lot of like um intuitive work doing and a lot of uh with this whole training that I was doing I was tapping in a lot to my intuition but I was getting that in meditation or when I was going for a walk or doing yoga I was getting no no more and more information was coming that I had to leave everything behind and go to South Africa and it was like go to See? Cape Town and it was like I've never been to South Africa in my life I've never been to Cape Town in my life but are you kidding me but I'm one of those people who has to test things out for the max. You know, I can't just like fiddle around on the edges and dip my toe in and see if this works. No, it's like, if this stuff's going to work, let's see if it really works. You know, I'm going to find out. And I was so burnt out, quite honestly, I had nothing to lose. So my kids went off, my daughter's a bit older and she went to um, drama school yeah. and my son went to university. So I thought, hey, I'll rent out my flat and I'll go to Cape Town and if I'll just go for two months. And if I hate it... I'll just travel around a bit or I'll rent a smaller flat and go back to work or whatever. You know, I haven't got, really haven't got much to lose. So I, you can imagine the panic setting in because I thought I was, <laughs> it was committing suicide basically. I'm just, I'm giving up my job. I'm giving up my flat. I'm dumping about 80% of what I own, renting the rest of it out and putting a few things in storage. And off I went with a suitcase to Cape Town and I'd never stepped onto South African soil until I got off that plane. And um, I had three people that I'd met fairly recently yeah. that I knew. And then a couple of people would say things like, oh, my sister's got a friend who lives in Cape Town and I'll give you her address. So all these magical connections happened. Of course, I was here, ended up living in a place right on the beach and mm. uh, kind of meditated, walked on the beach, slept, got over my burnout and decided I love it here. You know, and it was I came in. October 2012 and it was a really beautiful summer Whoa. so I was walking on the beach and it was like <laughs> this time of year and it was really hot and sunny and I thought oh, I think I'm gonna stay so I went back to England for Christmas to see my family and came back in the January and I haven't looked back since and since then um, there's been a whole other journey over the last nine years and that's been about sort of getting my South African uh, permanent residence which has taken me about nine years to get I've met 
a beautiful man that I ended up marrying. So hey. <laughs> and he's beautiful and so I'm really happy and I absolutely love him to bits. And that was a, we met about eight years ago. Then I built a house. I didn't build it personally. I got an architect and a builder to do it, but that was an amazing project. And um, through all of this, I began weaving together all of this wisdom that I'd accumulated over the years yeah. as a therapist, as a healer, on a spiritual journey with all my intuitive work, and I carried on working with that to understand it. And from there, again, two paths, always two paths. My name is Bridget, and I always feel like I'm bridging two paths. I've become the bridge. <laughs> and uh, so there I am kind of bridging this kind of life as a writer because I'm getting intuitively you're going to write a novel and there's me going what you're kidding me no you're going to write a novel so there was the writing of Red Dress and simultaneously um, the teaching or the coming together to to coach first and then teach this transformative um, thing called the bone circle so these are the two things that that I now do so that's that's one of the best that's one of the best answers I've actually had Oh, bless you. Thank you. It, now it is. The story alone is trans. It's like transformation. So yeah. you haven't come back to London. You don't need to. It's raining over here today, by the way. <laughs> I would much rather be where you are, to be honest sometimes with you. I miss, sometimes I miss London because I lived there for so long and there's such a vibe. But, of course, because of the lockdown and all the rest of it, I haven't been back. Because I normally, I used to go back at least once a year and go and see my dad and my brothers and my friends in London and go and buy things that you can't buy here, you know, in London. And um, I haven't been for two years, well, two and a half years now. And it's actually been really interesting because it feels like there's another, um, you know, moving away and leaving that past behind. I still yeah. love visiting. Because of you know, it's just a vibe there. London is London is nice, but at the moment it's still very, still very quiet. Now, you notice what stillness is. You never noticed it before, especially if you're in like the middle. I mean, central London. There's a stillness in central London that you could never even imagine was even possible to be in That's a stillness. Yeah. yeah, and um. I work in central London. I work slap bang in the middle of central London and um, near Westminster and Bank. And so I get to see all the huffle and kerfuffle, especially in the corporate world. And it's amazing the peace that I felt and the spiritual energy I felt in an area that is always busy. So it was a transformation even for me to understand it and see it so I do understand why you love London but I also understand the peace of how it is now to be in central London because of the pandemic so there's a good and a bad in everything and I know but where you are must be beautiful you know yeah yeah it is absolutely stunning I really really love it here and there's something about the South African lands land and landscape that I just love it really resonates with my soul and go. I just feel like it lifts me. And I know I've had past lives here before. I was but just, just going to say that. People. Yeah, I love the people and the culture and the music. and the, It's very colourful. Um, yeah. but, the, but the place is just naturally beauty, beautiful as well. Um, I mean, I'm in a place called Hout Bay, which is just yeah. 20 minutes drive from Cape Town. And we, we're just surrounded by mountains and 
beautiful blue clear ocean and you know birds in the garden and we can hear the waves and it's just stunning but I equally love driving out a bit into the desert I love that as well you know we went up to Namibia um last year you know earlier in the year and just stunning desert and dunes and things so just it's such a big open sky and it just is it makes you feel very expansive exactly yeah. exactly I really like that my next one for you Bridget is when you look in the mirror can you tell me how you define yourself as a person but also what does your reflection say back to you and has there ever been a moment in time when you have looked in the mirror and not recognized who you are as a person how did you manage to change that to be who you are today oh my goodness that's a billion dollar question that's such an interesting question I think that it's probably only recently that I've been able to truly, truly look in the mirror mm-hmm. and go see myself and accept totally who I am. And it was when I first moved to Cape Town and I, I was living in a backpacker's lodge for a week and then I went to live in this little house on the beach and I was on my own. And I got into bed that night. It was a great big double bed. It was huge and I'm quite small. I got in this <laughs> double bed. I was on my own completely on my own and I got into this bed and I just smiled because it's such an amazing place and I just went I just kind of hugged myself and I went you're amazing and it was, I think it's probably the first time in my life I'd ever told myself that and I think there's such a cult of youth and when you're younger you're always comparing yourself to other people yeah. and somehow you're not good enough you're not pretty enough your nose is too big or whatever it is you know you're something's wrong and when you look back at those photographs now you go well, what was I talking about I was beautiful but you don't appreciate it at the time yeah that's so true I think it's taken me so long many times I've looked in the mirror and just been critical and I think a lot of women do that they're just critical. They look at all of the negative things and they compare themselves and it steals their joy. It steals their joy. I'm glad and you said that. It's a long time to be able to really, truly look in the mirror and look back at yourself and go, yes, I'm authentic. That's the authentic me. This is the real me. And I'm beautiful on all levels and I accept who I am. Warts and all whoever you are that's true and it's a real journey I think it's the kind of probably one of the most important journeys we can all make in our lifetime see I like that answer it definitely resonated with me because I'm most probably one of those people definitely most definitely what inspired you to become a writer because being a I'm I say this to every single author I speak to being a writer is not easy having that patience to be able to sit down and graft your book pull it together have your ideas right from your heart right from your soul give the book the energy that you desire to go out into the world all these things take patience Bridget what was it for you that decided you know I'm going to write a book because I remember previously in our first question you mentioned a little bit about it but what made you really have this desire in your heart to say, I'm going to write a book? Wow. Um, okay. Awesome question. So 
I'm not, I'll, I'll sort of start a little bit with what it's not and then go yeah. into what it is. Um, yeah. Because I think a lot of authors have always wanted to write a book. They'll say, oh, I loved books when I was a kid. I always wanted to write a book. That wasn't me. I wasn't that author. I never, when I was a kid, thought I was going to write a book or even wanted to write a book. I mean, I wanted to do something much more flamboyant. I wasn't even sure what. You know, I wanted to go and be a ballet dancer or something. I danced. I wanted to do contemporary dance. You know? I like it. But anyway, that didn't happen. Um, so I don't really, I didn't really have that yearning to be a writer. However, when I look back at my career, I've always written things. So, for example, when I worked, I worked in public relations for a long time, and I used to write articles and press releases and things like that. Then, when I was a therapist. This is way back when, when websites first came in and to have a website was really unusual. And I wrote my entire copy for the website. And then I would write these pieces for my clients, you know, so that they'd understand mm -hmm. things. So I've always been there writing, um, but not fiction. And then what happened is, as I said, it was all this intuitive guidance. And in fact, before there's uh, just a little step that I'll add in. that I used to have a friend in London, still know her now. And she was very spiritual. We used to go to this spiritual think teaching together at the Friends Meeting House opposite Euston every last Thursday of the month. And we used to go to this thing. And she used to say to me, very, very matter of fact, she'd go, when you write your book, you know, you know you're going to write a book, don't you? And I, you know, you know how you have those friends. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't take any notice. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, she was right. And then during the whole this whole intuitive process as I was getting towards the end of that and I was coming to South Africa it kept coming up intuitively that I was going to write a book and I kept remembering what my friend Zoe used to say and then I kept thinking well okay I need to take this seriously I need to yeah. start thinking about this and what is it I'm going to write about and how am I going to do this and it was a worry to me really and I'd write a few notes in a book about what I thought I might write about and then I had a conversation when I was first living here on the in my little beach house in a place called Comaki. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was living in Australia at the time, and he said to me, "You know that you're going to write a book." <laughs> and I thought, "Okay, everybody knows I've you're going to write a book." <laughs> okay, I'm going to write a book. So finished that call with him. Now bear in mind, I'd lived here for two weeks. I didn't know anybody really, and somebody rings on my doorbell. I think a hexist. So I have a you know peek, make sure it's not. <laughs> crazy man and it's the guy from across the road and uh he comes along and he says would you like to come this evening to a party they call it a braai actually it's like a barbecue would you like to come to a braai we're having a party this evening at seven o'clock or whatever it was and I went oh I'd love to thank you very much so I rock up with my bottle of wine at seven o'clock there's this place over the road and there's all these people in the garden and there's music and they're, you know, and I go in and I don't know anybody. And it turns out that his wife was a author, was just about to publish her I don't know how manyth book. And most people there were either authors or, or they were taught creative writing or they were publishers. And it was like, OK, the universe is really trying to tell me something here. I can't ignore it. <laughs> any longer I then procrastinated for about another six months and I couldn't put it off anymore because you know it's like if you want to make God laugh tell him your plans and it was sort of like no you're gonna write this book so eventually it was winter here by then so that's how I know it was about six months it was winter and I'd moved house to this other place and I was living in this funny it's a beautiful house it's like a hobbit house in the mountain and um it was pouring it was raining it was freezing cold they got no heating and I was sitting there thinking I'm gonna have to write this book <laughs> 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 and um 
I, all I did was I went into a meditative state. I tapped into my guidance and my intuition. I literally meditated, tapped into that guidance, and I got really still and centered and fully present. And then I just heard this kind of voice in my head that just went, open your eyes and start typing. See. And that's how I started. And um, I'd just been chatting to a friend of mine in England called Kirsty. So I didn't know what to call the character, so I just called her Kirsty. And it was See? set in London and, you know, and it was, and, and she was a therapist. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't want it to be an autobiography. It's got to be actually yeah. fiction. So I went for a walk. The rain stopped and I put all my, you know, winter clothes on and I went for a walk on the beach. And while I was walking, I thought, well, I can't call her Kirsty. I need to change the name. And I need to make sure that this is fiction. It's not just autobiographical, completely autobiographical. It's semi-autobiographical. Mm -hmm. So I got back and I changed it to Katie from Kirsty and then kind of just kept, and I just kept this voice, just kept going, keep writing, keep writing. And it was hard because you're pulling something out of something inside of you. So yes. you have to be raw and vulnerable. And all the time, there's, you're, you're swinging on this pendulum between thinking, oh, that bit was quite good. To, oh, this is rubbish. Nobody's ever going to read this. So you, and you have to just learn to let go of that and flow with it. Yeah. So that took quite about two years. And then that manuscript ended up going to a publisher. And John Hunt Publishing, who are my publisher, said, look, we love your writing style and we love the idea, but it's not really structured as a novel. So I had to go off for a year and learn how to write, how to write a novel. Because I was okay at writing press releases and articles and small things and stuff like that, but, but not a novel. So I had to go off and learn how to do that. And then I got deeply into working with characterization and understanding the characters inside out. So there's things about some of those characters that don't actually get to be in the novel, but I just know them. Yeah. So then when I write them, I know their voice and I know what they're going to think and I know what they're like and I can speak in their language so to speak so then it took me another and in between all of this by the way we'd moved house and I'd built this house and then I burnt out again and then I went through menopause and then I had my health challenges because I had heavy Aww. metal poisoning and I wasn't very what? well and I'd become, oh, like, but through all of this I just kept writing and eventually the, the book was finished it's actually the first in a trilogy so there is a sequel that I'm about yeah. a third of the way through but yeah, that's, that's another long. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to go your answers, please. <laughs> hey, like I said, it's totally fine. I told you we'll only get to question three. Look. Who's <laughs> <laughs> my lucky number? We've got to get to question three. <laughs> oh, see? This is what I mean. It's totally fine. So here we are, Bridget. You've decided to write the book. So please let everyone know about the book. Um, wow. The, char the character in the book, which is obviously who you've been talking about now, what she goes through, why she goes through it, the spiritual side of things, who she meets. I've had the pleasure of reading it, but I want you to let the listeners know more about the book. I don't want to spoil it. I would rather it come from you. Thank you so much. So... Red Dress, a novel, it's about a woman called Katie, and she's in her 40s. Yeah. She's a, she's a therapist, Harley Street mm -hmm. therapist. They say, write about what you know. And she's a stressed out career mom, basically. She's got two teenage kids. She's living in West London, and she's lost herself. She's completely lost herself. Um, she's living what other people might call the dream. 
It looks like her life is successful, but she's running herself ragged, about to burn out. She's not in a very happy marriage and she's in denial of that. And she's basically looking after everybody else. Um, she's looking after the husband, she's looking after the house, she's looking after the kids, she's looking after her clients. And, and then she feels guilty because she doesn't feel happy. Yeah. And that's kind of where the where red dress opens. And what happens is she she decides on a whim in the middle of a meditation, right in the first chapter, I'm not giving much away, to hand her life over to God, who she doesn't even really believe in. So she's kind of giggling and she's kind of testing it out. And it's just a small line in the book, actually. It's easily missed. But then this it it triggers this whole series of events. And she goes on a journey of discovery and she's discovering who she really is. And she's really finding herself that she's lost in this life that she's created. And she's doing that through meeting more like-minded friends, yeah. um, going on these spiritual courses and going and having some therapy sessions with her supervisor. Because as a professional psychotherapist, you have to have a supervisor that you, that you tap into. So she's doing that. And so it's, it, it, the thing is being revealed to us. Now, the point about red dress is it's everything in it is authentic and real. So she yes. meditates and it even tells you how she meditates. And you can copy that and do it at home. She does yoga. She goes on all these different courses. For example, she does a thing called Aura Soma. Yeah. But they're all genuine and real. And if the reader's reading it and thinks, I fancy having a go at that, they can go and do it. It's also showing you how therapy session might work. It also includes 12 step. But the fun yes. part, it's funny along the way. So we've got all these pearls of wisdom that are teaching you how you can also follow a similar journey to finding yourself. But at the same time, there's all these funny things that happen because she's a bit she's she's a bit on the fence. She's not sure whether she wants to go into a spiritual journey or not. So she's kind of going with trepidation and self criticism, um, and she gets things wrong because she's. She can be a bit of a klutz at times, so she gets things a bit wrong. Um, and so, you know, she's funny. So the idea in writing it was to share these pearls of wisdom that I've collected over the last 30-odd years, but to do it in a really entertaining and engaging way. So you can just take it as a fun read about a woman who's stressed out who goes on a wacky, wacky spiritual journey. You can take it at that level. You can look at it as a story of personal development and finding self. You can yes. look at it as, a, as a, a study of destructive relationships because there's a third character who's a love and sex addict. So there's a, there's a real destructive relationship dynamic playing out. Um, and you can also look at it as a journey of spiritual awakening. So you can take it at whatever level you, you want, really. But the, the main thing is I wanted it to be entertaining because I think a lot of spiritual books, I mean, there's thousands of spiritual books, millions of yeah. spiritual books, and, and, and they're brilliant. And a lot of them are fabulous but you've got to sit down and wade through them and be in that frame of mind and sometimes if you're going on holiday or it's christmas time or it's like sunday afternoon and it's raining and you want to curl up by the fire with a mug of chocolate you don't want to read some you know course in miracles <laughs> conversations with god you want to just read something that's fun so yeah that was the idea behind it so that you could learn and grow and understand but have fun at the same time one of the things that did pop out for me was even in the beginning because there are do you believe that there are a lot of women in their 40s especially it could be any age but I know in their 
some people might call it a midlife crisis, right? But do you believe there are a lot of women, it could be in their late 30s, early 40s or even 50s, that are in that frame of mind where they're on top of their game like we've been talking about throughout the podcast, but just feel empty inside. What would your advice be to those people who, or women or men, it doesn't matter, who feel like, you know what, I've achieved so much in my life, but I still feel like there's this big hole or gap missing that needs to be filled. I think there's far, probably more people in that boat than we realise because a lot of people go into denial because they're too afraid to lose what they've built up. So they found their success, they've got it, and they're just the, the alternative is so they're so fearful and afraid of the alternative that they'll rather pretend everything's okay. But I actually think there's a lot of people in those in those circumstances. And, you know, flippantly, I would say, go read Red Dress, because it actually gives you a roadmap out of that. And and, and have a look at my training, The Bone Circle, because that also is a roadmap out of it. But if you want to just start somewhere small, I think there's two things that are really important. The first thing is to become aware that that's what's happened to you, that you've got this emptiness inside. I think women particularly can have this. Um, there's a beautiful book uh, called The Heroine's Journey by Maureen Murdoch. It's an old book. It was written in the 80s, but it's really great because it talks about how women go out there to become successful. So they take on the heroine, the hero's journey and the road of trials because they go out and they are successful. Women are hugely successful, but they're trying to juggle it all. And to be successful in the world, not always, but very often, they kind of push aside their own femininity and step into their masculine We've all got masculine and feminine. And then it goes out of balance. So they're doing, 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 achieving, 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 achieving. And they've forgotten about receiving and nurturing and all of the feminine properties. And that's what causes the emptiness. And then it gets to a point where they feel almost brittle and dry. And then there's an urgency to search back and reconnect with the feminine. But I don't think it's just limited to women. I think, actually, we're talking about the silver side of the lockdown And I think that is another silver lining to the lockdown is that people have been able to stop. And if you can find peace in the middle of central London and people have slowed down and they're working at home and they're starting to look at what really matters, what really matters to them in life. And it's relationships and fulfillment and joy and nature and connection and things like that that are often far more important. And following your passion and expressing your creativity, all of these things are important. So I think the first thing is to become aware that that's the situation you found yourself in. Because without awareness, if you just blindly go on in denial, you're not, you can't yeah. make a change. So the first thing is to become aware. And the second thing is to choose. There's a real power in making choices and intentions. So if you just go, okay, I, I accept or I acknowledge and I become aware that I feel really empty inside. My life's not working. Um, you know, I'm having a Katie moment. <laughs> then you've got to kind of go, okay, now I'm going to choose to resolve this. I'm going to I choose and intend to live my fullest, best life and resolve this. And that doesn't mean your life's happy all the time. We all have challenges, but there's an overarching yeah. joy which, yeah. which carries you. And so in making that choice and intention, 
it's the universe opens doorways for you and then synchronicities start happening and things will come into your life whether that's a book or a person or a training or a course or you listen to a podcast you know it could be anything that triggers that journey and then it's just a matter of the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step because once you've taken the first step the next step is revealed. It's like a sat nav. Doesn't give you all the directions in one go because you just get really confused. So it just goes, you know, keep going, take the third exit off the roundabout. And then when you've taken the third exit off the roundabout, it says turn left in you know three hundred meters or whatever. So that's true. That's how life can be as well. Once you've become aware and then chosen, and you know where you're heading, the mm. map opens up so serendipitously. And that can be exciting because now you're on a journey. I like that. I definitely like that. Another thing that plays into that, which is actually my next question, is I want to talk a bit about forgiveness. Forgiveness plays a huge role in all of our lives, our lives depending on how we put forgiveness into play. Okay? So a lot of people forgive but don't forget a lot of people forgive and forget there are a few actually that forgive and forget because it's a very very hard thing to do in our lives how do you believe that forgiveness has helped you within your life to become a better person but also forgive yourself for what's happened in your life because that's one of the biggest and hardest things to do for us as humans spiritually and mentally but also how has it helped you and you towards other people i think forgiveness is such a massively important subject and it's huge because that's what releases us and liberates us in many ways because what keeps us tied to the past um and keeps us in suffering in many ways is that something's happened and you can't let go of it and so the letting the key to letting go of it is forgiveness and it depends on who and what you're forgiving as to how difficult it is. But yeah. I used to work a lot with this in therapy because it's the crux of therapy, really, particularly if somebody's I used to work a lot with people who'd had uh, experienced sexual abuse and um, abusive relationships and abusive childhoods. And you have to be able to forgive. And I started off by saying that I had a challenging childhood and I had to be able to forgive my parents but I decided to go one step further and I decided to love them unconditionally anyway not just forgive and forget but forgive and still love and that just took on me on that extra journey and now it's got to the point where I'm eternally grateful to my parents for being who they are I believe that as souls we choose our own parents so I know I chose them I chose them and also, I know I chose them for good purpose because what they taught, they shaped who I am today. And without that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. So they gifted me life and they gifted me who I am, despite their foibles. And not only that, nobody's 100% bad because my parents had challenging sides to their personality, but they also had really interesting sides. They had they were very unusual people, very charismatic, and they would travel and they'd have 
fabulous food and we'd go to like when we were kids we'd we everybody else was just going on holiday to Devon or something and we'd be going to France you know the caravan or something and we'd, we'd be traveling and doing things and so they opened our minds and so there's lots of really good things about my parents and it's very easy when you're not in forgiveness to only see the pain and the hurt yes. um, and one of the easiest ways I think to begin that journey of forgiveness is to realize is to see that person as the child who was themselves maybe abused or was loveless um, or who didn't have the opportunities um, and to realize that we come in I think with karma and stuff from past life we come in as whole formed personalities I can know that my daughter and my my son are very very different personalities they've got the same parents the same upbringing are very different um, so we're coming with our own personality um, and then things whatever whoever you are in life even if you had a great childhood things happen to people it's part of life and so it's understanding that that person didn't set out purposely to be really horrible and and wound yeah. you in some way it, they were doing the best they could with what they had with their journey and so when we you've got to work it's a process Forgiveness is a process, and it's a process of awareness and understanding. And then I think you're quite right, Savia, that the, the most difficult one is actually forgiving yourself, and particularly for therapists and people yeah. who love people and people who love helping people and who want to make the world a better place and want to share and all of that sort of thing. They want to give, 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 um, and, and they quickly you know, want to forgive and go through that process of forgiving others but they don't always forgive themselves and I think that's something that comes later and I think it's the same for love a lot of those same yes. people have a lot of love for the world for people for animals nature all sorts of things they have an enormous amount of love to give except to themselves and it's it that's the last bit of the jigsaw really when you've forgiven and everybody else that you've loved everybody else is then to turn to yourself and finally realize it's not selfish to love yourself it's required really you have to otherwise you'll be giving out all your energy to everybody else and you'll be left drained totally. and that's not what you need that's not what you need for yourself because no, then you can't shine your light, can you? Exactly. See, you're on my level. See, Bridget, you're on my level. <laughs> I knew, uh, sorry, uh, I knew somehow we'd, um, we'd have this connection because I looked at a, your website and your blog and I listened to one of your podcasts. I thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Even the time's gone fast because I've been like, yeah, we've just been chatting away and it's been really nice. I only have two more for you, Bridget. We've got past three questions. That's awesome. we got past... <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> oh, man. I knew he was going to say that. What would you like your legacy to be in this world, in your form as you are now, when you feel and only when you feel that you have done enough in the world? How would you like people to remember you? I'd like to be able to fulfill my purpose and mission and to really be a light in the world. And tr my whole thing is about transformation. 
whether that's about transforming a house into a home or transforming some food into a meal or transforming, you know, an old piece of junk into something lovely or whether it's transforming people in therapy or transforming people through reading the book. So I'm all about transformation. And I think I would love the legacy. I love teaching. It's one of my absolute passions. So what I would love to leave the world is these higher teachings um, for people to be able to have the tools to transform, to live their passion, to live their sole purpose, to live the life they would love, the thing that brings them alive. Because if everybody does that, imagine how what the world would be like if we were yeah. all doing what we love, you know, it, and we were all um, aware, becoming more self-aware. We could do away with war and greed and poverty and all of these things that uh, kind of drag the world down. So if, if I, I would love, um, if I'm really honest, at this point in my life where most people are shuffling off and thinking about retiring, I would actually love to, to get my books out there to the world, to get my teaching out there to the world, to really see people shift and change and have joyous, joyous lives. That's what I'd see. love. See, and that's going to happen. Well, that's not, no, that is happening. It's not that it's going to happen. It is happening because you're in your sat-nav in your car. Yeah. You know, you're in your sat-nav in your car and, and, you, and you're on your third roundabout. Okay. So it's, <laughs> so, so, it's yeah. <laughs> so it's happening as we speak. And I hope this is a big part of it for you. you. I've enjoyed thoroughly having you on the show, but before I end... Please, Bridget, let everyone know where they can find you, where they can buy your book, how they can get in touch with you, just like I have. Awesome. So Red Dress, a novel, you can buy it just about anywhere books are sold. You can get it online as an ebook. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it from Waterstones. If you go to the publisher's website, which is johnhuntpublishing.com and search for Red Dress, they've got links there to where you can buy it. You can also go to my website, BridgetFinclair.com. I'll spell it. It's an unusual name. B-R-I-D-G-E-T-F for Freddie. I-N-K-L-A-I-R-E. On my website, there's links to all my social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, on my website, there's information about the Bone Circle training as well. Yes. So please come find me. See, I love that. Ah, Bridget, I want to thank you again so much for coming on the As People podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed our connection. It's been absolutely beautiful. Thank you again. Bless you, Savia. Thank you so much for having us. So enjoyed it. The time has gone so quickly as well. <laughs> it has, it has, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the As People podcast. And please remember you can subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and any other platform that you prefer listening to. Please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also donate to the Yes People podcast by simply going to the Savvy Rocks website or just typing in paypal.me forward slash us people podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Stay happy, stay positive, and as always, please continue to be kind to one another. I want
That was awesome. I love that. Be kind to one another and be kind to yourself as well, hey? <laughs> Thank you so much, Safia. Have a beautiful rest of your evening and oh, I really, really appreciate you inviting me. It's been so lovely to connect with you, really. Namaste. Oh, namaste, most definitely. Namaste.